one of the striking things about what happened to me is that no one wanted to tell me the story. No one wanted to tell me what was going on. Why did my parents leave? Where are they? Why did they go? What mm. is this America? I had no clue and no one was talking to me about it. As a mother, I always wanted to answer my children's questions. <laughs> and as a teacher, I encourage kids to ask questions so we can talk. Mm. And one of the things I wanted to convey in the book is this idea that as a child back then, you were just kept in the dark. Nobody mm -hmm. really wanted to like tell me what was going on. So I had to like kind of like go hunting for these answers and I never really found them fully, but there was this constant search and, and questioning mm -hmm. in the back of my mind. And one of the things I wanted to convey is like, you know, children are precious and their questions are important and we have to answer those questions. And no one did that for me. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Judy Temes. She is a teacher, writer, a former journalist, and the mother of three who lives in Seattle. She teaches secondary English language arts and history in Seattle, and she spent many years as a business journalist in New York City as a staff reporter for Crane's New York Business. Her business writing has appeared in several other publications, including the Boston Globe, the Patriot Ledger, Business Week, and the San Fernando Valley Business Journal. Welcome, Judy. Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you. And I'm honored and grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. And in reading your bio, actually taking a closer look, I realize that the book you have just come out with um, is very different, isn't it, from the other writing you've done? Extremely different, yes. And maybe uh -huh. that's the explanation of why it took me so long to write it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was a reporter for 20 years and um, a business journalist. And I knew how, I knew what made a good story. And I knew that I had a good story to tell, that it was an important story to tell. But how to tell that story was very different from the kind of business journalism I was doing for many years. And mm -hmm. the first time I wrote it, maybe the first three times I wrote it, <laughs> it sounded very much like journalism, like you mm -hmm. lead off with the important thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And then you learn over time that writing this story is writing a story like this, writing a memoir is an extremely different craft. You know, before you wrote it or decided that you're going to write it, and, and I guess we should, we should probably tell yeah. everyone, the book is called Girl Left Behind. And this is a memoir about your life, which we're going to dig into in a second. But uh, I think that, you know, I'm curious if you were a memoir appreciator or lover or reader before writing your own. Yes, I I was. And I became so because I mean, I, I had to start reading memoir in order to kind of understand the craft. And, and I love stories. And I just love the stories of, of people and, and like this podcast, you know, you know, how life changes you. Mm -hmm. And so very much so a, a an important person for me in this journey was my mentor. She's, she, she wrote a memoir called Family on Beartown Road, Elizabeth mm -hmm. Cohen. 
And I learned a lot from her in crafting a memoir. She had a New York Times bestselling memoir. Thank you, Elizabeth. She's been a wonderful Mm. person in supporting me and helping me craft this book. And can you, you know, for anyone who hasn't yet taken a look at your book and what it's about, can you give the the little summary that you would give anyone who is new to the story? Sure. Thank you. So I was um, five years old, 1969, and my mother and father and my brother, driven by my father's decision for the most part, desperately wanted to get out of communist Hungary. The borders were sealed. There was really no way for them to legally leave the country. And my father was very much, uh, he, he, and I can, we can get into later what drove him to want to leave, but one of the few ways to get out of the country was to get these tourist visas that allowed you to go to a Western country. In our case, this was from Hungary to Vienna, and in Austria was a Western country. And if one of the few ways that the government would allow this is if you left one member of your immediate family behind. Mm-hmm. So from Vienna, my parents made the decision, the very hard decision to not come back. And I was left with my grandmother uh, in a tiny little village, in a lakeside village in Hungary. And our separation wound up taking five years. So my father mm-hmm. did not know that it would take five years when he left, but they also had a very real understanding that it might. And mm-hmm. indeed, we might actually never see each other again. Mm-hmm. So so that's the, the essence of the story. So it begins with them packing to leave with the knowledge that they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. But me knowing none of that, and I thought I was just going to stay with my grandmother for a week or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And your memories, I, you know, people ask me this sometimes about my book. How do you remember? Why do you have so many of these specifics from when you were really young? I'm struck in reading your book by how vivid your memory is. You were really young and you, you you have so many particulars there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. So memoir is an interesting craft, right? I mean, I have very real and vivid memories, but they're kind of fragments and snippets and mm. they're not like full stories. So I think the challenge for me was how to turn that into a narrative. Mm. And and then over time, also interviewing and talking to many people, most especially my mother over many, many years, and then my brother and getting his understanding of what happened. My 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 grandmother passed away. So I I had, you know, those those were like recalled memories of those mm. interactions. Mm-hmm. The dialogue and all that, I mean, is is not, it's a memoir. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it's not exactly how things yes. were said. <laughs> but I had some very real memories. And then, you know, and then confirmed by letters also in the research that went into the book. And then taking those, those, that information and memories and spinning it into a story. Hmm. Yes. And what was, you know, I'm going to have you read from the book in just a moment, but what was very important to you to convey, you know, among, among all the things that you're juggling as a memoirist mm-hmm. and, you know, also I know you have this reporter brain and, you know, you have, you're so many different things. You were a journalist and you're a memoirist and you're a mother and you're a daughter, but as you're writing this story, what were some of the things you really wanted to keep in mind and, and you strove for? Okay, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the reasons I became a reporter is because I'm, a, I'm kind of a curious person by nature, mm-hmm. and I want to know the story. And one of the striking things about what happened to me is that no one wanted to tell me the story. No one wanted to tell me 
what was going on? Why did my parents leave? Where are they? Why did they go? Why, what mm. is this America? I had no clue and no one was talking to me about it. And, you know, as, as, as a mother, I always wanted to like, I, I always wanted to answer my children's questions. <laughs> and as a teacher, I encourage kids to ask questions so we can talk. Mm. And one of the things I wanted to convey in the book is this idea that as a child back then, you were just kept in the dark. Nobody really wanted to like tell me what was going on. So I had to like kind of like go hunting for these answers and I never really found them fully, but there was this constant search and and questioning in the back of my mind. And one of the things I wanted to convey is like you know, children are precious and their questions are important and we have to answer those questions and no one did that for me. There was maybe two people in the book that 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 actually took my questions seriously mm. and addressed them a little bit. Who were those people? <laughs> my father's half brother, who, like my dad, is a survivor of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and he, we went to his house. He invited me to his house, and why I didn't live with him as opposed to the house in which I was left is a whole other story, but. You know, I, I found like objects and books and, and photos in his house. And I, when I asked him questions, he actually answered them for me. Mm. And that helped me kind of set me on like this search for like, oh, I'm half Jewish. What does that mm. mean? The context in which I learned that I'm actually half Jewish was was in the context of my uncle, my other uncle in whose house I did live, who kept calling my father these awful names. I never even knew what the word Jew was, mm-hmm. except in the context of, you know, a slur or a, you know, a, an insult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, this other uncle, my father's half-brother, took me seriously. And I really appreciated that. And um, so that, that I, that's in the book as well, like a, mm-hmm. that, that chapter of when, he, when we visit his house and some of the questions that he answers for me. Mm-hmm. And then would you say, you know, your nanny plays such an important role in the first part of the book. Would you say, though, that she was or wasn't transparent with you? No. She, yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, she barely knew. It was, a shock, it was a shock to her that my parents mm-hmm. left. It, yeah. it really is. And it's I don't think it's giving too much away because it's quite early in the book. But they really your parents go and you're under the impression that you're going to stay. You're going to see them soon, that yeah. they're, they're just off for a beautiful trip and you're too young to go because your brother's quite a bit older than you. Yeah, he's about seven years older. Yeah. yeah. And so you just take the role of the, the youngest and you're going to wait. But they leave your your nanny in charge of you. And apparently they, they've given directions to um, your grandmother that, you know, and your aunt and uncle, right, about picking you up and stuff like that. But the nanny is taken quite by surprise. She is. She was totally surprised. She had been in our house hold for since my brother was little. So at least at that point, 12 years or so. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's this question that's, you know, coming up about, you know, there's almost, it's weird, I don't want to label this too much, but there's sort of this very cut and dried 
behavior or almost like a, a, a single mindedness or almost in a way a ruthlessness to to leave like that, right, without making any mm. kind of um, plans that that include the other people. And I, I know that's a, a you know, and, and I'm adding my own opinion there with the ruthlessness. Now, I feel like I understand it because they can't jeopardize their escape and they certainly don't want to make uh, the nanny, you know, in, they don't want to endanger the nanny with any right. information exactly. that they're leaving, right? Exactly. So that mm. that's kind of what ha- has to happen. What I'd love for you to do, if you want to read that that short section that you selected, and then we can talk a little bit more about what what this meant to you and, and the aftermath in your family. So feel free to set set the tone or set the scene a little bit. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So so after um, my parents leave, um, my I'm left with this this nanny. She. Um, housekeeper really is more like who she was. <laughs> um, but then my grandmother comes for me and she makes it clear to the housekeeper slash nanny that I'm, I'm supposed to, that my, my mother instructed her to take me and, and I'm supposed to go live with her. I know none of this. I'm kind of kept in the dark about this while the adults are having the conversations in the back. And then about so I'm taken to this small village, which was very different from how my, I, my the family home in which I was living in. That mm-hmm. home, my parents were both physicians, and it was like we had certain comforts. And the home that I'm taken to in this little village is is a is a beautiful old home, but very much run down, and and the family um, lives in poverty. Maybe <laughs> is the right word, but there's also like no running water in this house, and my old grandmother is constantly out bringing water in from a well outside. There's barely electricity, and the heat is a constant source of money and problems because mm. they had they're heating the house with coal, and there's never enough coal, and it's always cold. And mm. so the scene is about six months after my parents leave. I have some questions. I, I keep asking my grandmother, "Where are they coming back? When is what's happening?" And um, she finally sits me down. Um, um, right sometime after the first Christmas that I'm with my family and she tells me that my parents are not coming back. So that this is that scene. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to begin reading. Okay. It was not much later that my grandmother decided it was time we had a talk. Come in the parlor, she said. I have something important to tell you. In the parlor? What could it be? The parlor was a fancy room in the house, a few steps up from the hallway with the blue linoleum. It was where guests stayed in the summer. It's also where my uncle hosted visitors from the from time to time, sitting in a big comfy chair, inhaling the tobacco in his smoking stick. It was the biggest room in the house with widened windows on every wall. In the summer, when my grandmother rolled up the heavy wooden blinds, the view from that room was pink oleander and white hibiscus and wildflowers all the way to the willow tree and the railroad track. But the windows were black now and covered with frost, and the room was freezing cold. It was only heated on special occasions like Christmas, and sometimes not even then. Sit, my grandmother said, pointing to a chair next to a large wooden table in the center of the room. Let me warm up the room a little. She walked over to the heater, threw some black coal inside, and lit it with a match. She sat sat next to me and took, took out another envelope from her pocket. I was excited, thinking surely my mother had written had more to tell me about the palace or the cake or maybe my brother. Did he get get a chance to go fishing after all? 
Was he still practicing piano somewhere? Did they all see that broken building? Did she visit the king in the palace? Was my father happy visiting all those new places? Did he like the cake with the chocolate frosting? Maybe she had some good news. Maybe they'd be coming home. Um, so I'm going to just speed up a little bit there. So this is my grandmother talking. Mm. You know that your mother and father and brother are in Rome, my grandmother said slowly. I know, Mamika. You told me last time, visiting that man, the one who lives in the castle, the king, the pope. He lives in Rome. That's where they are. Open the letter, Mamika. What does it say? Are they finally coming home? Well, it's like this, Yuditka. I can go home then, and Tibikat will go back to school, and Anyuka will go back to the babies, and Opuka to the hospital, and we can go come back and visit you in the summer, like always, when it's nice and warm. And we can swim in the lake and eat ice cream, and it's like this, Yuditka, she repeated, interrupting me. Your family, they're not really on vacation. They couldn't tell us before because they weren't sure whether they could really go, but they were able to get as far as Rome, and now this letter, in this, in this letter, they finally were able to tell us that it looks like they will be going to America, moving to America. America? That's right, America. Where is that? Well, it's kind of far, further than Rome. Yes, it's on the other side of the ocean. Is that big? Yes, very big. Bigger than the lake? Much bigger. And because it's far, it means they can't come back to Mujer or Sag. Why not? Well, to get there, they have to fly in a plane. Can't they fly back? It's not that easy. Why not? Because once you leave Magyar or Sag to go so far away to go to America, you can't really come back. Can't come back. Can't come back. The words made no sense. If they could go there in a plane, why couldn't they come back on a plane? If they go in a car to Mohat, you can come back in a car. I was confused. Then my stomach started to hurt, like I'd eaten a huge loaf of bread, and my pinky finger felt like it might break and fall off. They went to live there, in America. I was cold. I started to shiver. I tried to think of what to say, but couldn't think of the right questions or even words. And before I could speak, my grandmother's face brightened. Her eyes grew big, and she smiled like it was Christmas again. The best part, she said, is that you will be going to America to be with them. Can you believe it, Yuditka? You are going to America. Me? Yes, to America. They have everything, she continued, as I sat in the freezing cold room, shivering, listening to her. It's like paradise there. There are big buildings and stores for shopping and beautiful things to buy, pretty sweaters and shoes and dolls, and you don't have to heat the rooms with cold like here. The heat comes out of the wall like magic, and water comes pouring from pipes, and the buildings, the buildings are so tall, they touch the sky. She kept talking and talking, and as she did, my stomach settled, and my finger went back to feeling regular, and... In front of my eyes, I could see tall buildings piercing the sky and beautiful clothes and shiny shoes and stars and rainbows and a palace and cake and green grass and flowers and dolls and toys. Really? Really? How tall are the buildings? If you go to the top, you can look down and see the whole world. And I will live there? Yes, one day. You will be there together as a family. I didn't ask my grandmother why my parents would want to go to America. Who wouldn't? I also forgot to ask her when this would happen. Time was not something I understood well. A day came and went when the sun set. 
a week ended with each Sunday when my aunt went to church and started with each Monday when my grandmother pulled me in the wagon to the kindergarten. Summer came and went, and now it was winter. But what was a month? Was it three Sundays or four or eight? What was a year? How many Sundays? What did it all, and what did it all matter? It seemed like such a small thing compared to America. And I'll stop there. Thank you. You know, it's this thing about hope. Uh, you were very young at that point. How old were you? Were you still uh, five? Five? Yeah. five yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I have a similarity in your story in terms yes. of the, the, the being left and then also this idea you were talking about before about information and not getting enough of the answers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder about that being generational mm. and the era, the era in which we grow up. But at the same time, yours is, is a very extreme example of this. And I would imagine that there was a lot of survival that had to be done living at the lake. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything you could take for granted. So am I right to say that your emotions were not something that your family there, your extended family could really entertain or help? No, no, not really. I mean, my, well, let me backtrack a little. I think my grandmother was a very um, loving person. And I have to say that if I don't have psychological scars about this, it's really because of her, because she really was so tender and kind. And um, she, you know, she had these like chocolates in her little, (laughs) in her her dress, (laughs) in her apron pockets. And she always had like something for me or or a kind word or, and she's really like in that, in that little section, like kept these hopes alive for me. Mm. So that hope was, was, was there. But in terms of like, you know, what's a child feeling and, and she really needs her mother right now. And, and as you know, as, you know, like you had these difficult moments too in your childhood and your mother mm-hmm. is not there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes no other person will really do. You really need your mom. Mm-hmm. And and those types of things were not really addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yes, I get this sense that you're kind of uh, rattling around on this property and, you know, yeah. having to kind of, I don't know, entertain yourself and right. also kind of pacify yourself. And right. you, you seem sort of the embodiment of plucky. I mean, you have curiosity. You, you kind across as a child on the page is curious and tender and full of energy and also compliant and also like any child would react to the the loss of their parent and so I guess can you set this what year was this that they left you so it was uh the summer of 1969 Mm -hmm. um and you know it's it's sort of like still the height of communism and the the cold war really Mm -hmm. And, um, and, um, and I, and I finally left in 1974. So So your father, I guess we should go back a little bit. And I know people will understand this better when they read the book, but your father was Jewish in a communist country. And what do you understand was his, how long had he been trying to get out or when did his plan formulate? Yeah. Good. Great question. Yeah. So, so my father was a survivor of, of the Holocaust. He uh, just, just by way of that explanation, he lost his entire family uh, with the exception of his half brother who survived. Um, Mm -hmm. His parents were all taken to Auschwitz as was his little brother and his grandmother. He lost, they lost everything. So this was in this little town where I was born. Um, it's pronounced Mohach. Um, it's in the southern part of Hungary. And, um, and, 
and he, and then he went and returned to Mohaj after his uh, forced labor, which is what 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 where he was taken. That's how he survived. He wasn't taken to the camps. He was mm -hmm. enlisted as a forced laborer. Mm -hmm. um, he he returned to that town, and then he went to medical school. And he met my mother in medical school. My mother was assigned. So under communism, you're assigned to the to the city or town where you're going to practice medicine. The, the government sends you there. Mm -hmm. And you don't have your choice. And by, you know, my father didn't want to go back to this little town where, you know, he witnessed the loss of his sure. father. But he was sent back there, ironically. And this is where he had to go and live. So I, I imagine that that must have been incredibly painful for him um, to go back mm -hmm. to that place. And he started, uh, so I, his wish to leave, I think, took, took a long time to formulate because mm -hmm. in 1956 was the year that the borders were briefly open. And um, he could have left, and a lot of people did. A lot of Hungarians left in 1956. This was during the Hungarian Revolution, before the Soviet tanks rolled in, and before, and that, like for a brief six months or so, the borders were somewhat open, and a lot of people left. In '56 is the year my brother was born, and my parents were newlyweds, and they were just starting their lives. And I think that my mother was scared to death of taking the chance of leaving them. Mm. So then they settled into their lives, and they were relatively successful and I think that as the years wore on he was having he had a hard time just like staying there and he started learning to speak English he learned how to mm -hmm. he, he learned from dictionaries he was reading books he, that he was able to get his hands on he was regularly leaving the country as he could like these visas were available to go and he did mm -hmm. it he went before he brought back these like interesting things like a like a like a film camera and i think that having going going on those trips he he made a plan that he was going to go and mm -hmm. i and i think that he was do, he was going to do it regardless of what my mother did my understanding is that and he never told me this because he always had a very hard time talking about the reasons why he did these things and mm -hmm. the holocaust and all that it was not very fresh well not it was fresh in his memory he just was wasn't going to share it he was yes. very much I mean, it sounds like this. he was wound, wounded forever wounded, by, yes, forever. I mean, it, it, and, and, and I, I want to mention that I, I feel there's this, this tension between understanding what our parent has been through and appreciating the scars yeah. that he will always have, that he always yeah. had, and then holding that as well as the feelings of loss you experienced because of his decisions. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that tension of like, I mean, as a, as an adult, I came to understand his decision and his sacrifice, but as a child who doesn't really know what's going on and why they did this and why America was like this so special that you would leave your child for it. Mm. That's, that's, that, that was hard. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it took me a long time to process that even once I was here. But yeah, my, my dad, you know, he, he, he knew that he would have to pass certain exams. He knew that there was, he, he started making his plans years ago, years before mm -hmm. they finally did it. Did, did he seem happy to you uh, in the U.S. ultimately? Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, yes and no. He had many moments of joyfulness. And he achieved a lot of what he wanted, you know, like in terms of financial success. And but he was also very much broken 
and and um by the time I saw them and I came to live with them, this was five years after they had arrived here, he, he had made some of his peace with his decision, but I think there were incredible ups and downs along in those during those five years. And my brother and I talk about this and his experience of going with them on that journey was in some ways harder than my experience of being with my grandmother. Um, Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, my father was had these like messianic hopes, like America, where like he, he even like my brother described it as like my father acting like it's Moses going to the promised land. Hmm. And he had these incredible high moments and also incredible moments of deep, deep despair when what he thought would happen wasn't happening. And they hmm. had to contend with living in a from going from a fight, you know, like like a, a lovely home and a and a and a and a summer um, vineyard. My father had a small little vineyard that you know, where that he built mm-hmm. a house on. He had a car. We had a television in Hungary, and like that was rare. That was very rare in those days for for a family Mm -hmm. to have those things. To living in a rooming house in Rome with like three other families, to Mm -hmm. living in a hotel like in 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 Manhattan, like a like a like a rooming house hotel Mm -hmm. for for many months, to a small one bedroom apartment in the Bronx, to working and to not to to having people ridicule him for his accent, not understanding Mm him. Um and, and and he was I mean, I think my my brother and my mother both shared with me that at at some moments he was suicidal. Mm -hmm. So my father, my brother witnessed those things. And those Mm -hmm. that was really hard for him as well. Mm, I know. And and did did your brother and you, how did you come together? I, I would imagine that the sibling relationship was deeply impacted yeah Yeah, I'm curious about those different feelings of loss and guilt and and redemption and stuff between the two of you yeah that's that's well put thank you yeah so he's older than me he was in some ways like a almost like a father figure to me he was the boy who like knew his way around America maybe (laughs) (laughs) so when I came he was like my big brother who wanted to like show me everything Mm -hmm. my my mom when she she finally got her medical license about five years after they arrived here and again she had sacrificed too because she went from being a doctor to being a, a a a a housekeeper slash maid mm-hmm, in in mm-hmm. in the Bronx, because um, she had to work as well, and um, so so the relationship went to like being like my 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 father, and I didn't want a second father, and I very much rebelled against that and <laughs> resisted that. And and our and and then he had his own like he was almost like going off to high college almost as yeah. soon as very very soon after I arrived he was graduating high school and so so we didn't really have many years under the same roof together and and some of those years were filled with strife and difficulties as well because my parents were these new immigrants and they couldn't navigate this new world very easily and. So my brother, so the family yeah. that you inherited, you know, the family that you inherited when yeah. you got to the States was really different oh. from the family you had totally. back in your early childhood. Yes. I mean, yes. and then if your brother's gone, yes. what was that like for you to now have your two parents to yourself? 
Well, I didn't. My, my, my father continued with his habit of taking jobs far away from home and not coming home during the weekdays. So he worked in New Jersey. We lived in the Bronx and he did not commute home. He mm. stayed in New Jersey um, for his job. And this was like, I, I realized later, this wasn't just Hungary. This was maybe a pattern in his life. So he came home on weekends. And then, and then I was almost like, and my mom worked. So almost from the start, I was a latchkey child in the Bronx, you know, going home to an empty house. My brother was also working hard delivering newspapers at 5am. And so, so I was, I was almost like left to my own devices in this apartment in the urban jungle, (laughs) (laughs) which, which was very different. And then, and then once my mom got her, her the opportunity to work as a doctor she took off and we moved to staten island and (sighs) and then she was working in new jersey and my my dad had a medical practice in the back in the bronx (laughs) so Mm. then my mom didn't have her driver's license and she couldn't navigate the buses or something but then she lived away for a few years and coming home on the weekends so and that was like then like 12, 13, 14, trying to figure out like junior high school by myself. <laughs> so oh my, 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 my brother cooking mac and cheese every night. <laughs> did you have time, Judy, at the, at, during those years, did you have time to feel or recognize that you were, you were in a deficit, a family deficit? Did you understand that? I started to, I started to from American television. <laughs> Um, you know, you watch these shows like, I don't know, Father Knows Best or what, you know, they're, they're like yeah. typical 50s American shows. But you see families who talk, who say, you know, let's talk about this. And they go upstairs to the child's bedroom and the father like talks to the child. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not happening for me. <laughs> yeah. So so I, I did, you know, as we come into those years of like cognition as like, you know, in our early teens, I I started to know that this is not what it should be like. And, Mm. and then I, later on in life, I mean, like, I think as like how we become parents, and we deal with those deficits, I think it was very real and intentional for me that I wanted to raise my children differently, that Mm. I wanted to be present, I wanted to be there to answer their questions, I wanted to, um, build a life where we talk to our kids and um so yeah yeah and you know I I feel similar to you because of you know I tried to give to my kids different than what I had in terms of communication and understanding about what was happening I wanted them to feel some agency and to understand and have all the facts there did but you know for me as you probably know from from our short conversations and even reading my book, relationships and, and figuring out how to be with someone and to be safe and calm enough to have a relationship yeah. was a struggle. And yeah. I'm wondering, did you have any issues trusting people? or Because you sound, mm. speaking to you, you sound so well-adjusted and you sound like you landed on your feet and you you took what happened to you and you moved on. And I, I don't know, and, and you don't have to divulge what you're not comfortable with, but did you have moments of doubt about yourself and your ability to keep someone loving you? Mm. Mm, um, yes, 
and no. That's that's awesome. that's a great question too. I mean, I had a lot of doubts. Um, I, I I was very insecure as a child in America. Um, I I I was very you know I in Hungary. Even though my parents were gone, I was this kind of self-assured little kid. Um, mm. I, I was the going to America kid. <laughs> um, and I, your back I got pocket, a lot of respect right? on the playground because of that. <laughs> yes, yes. You could always hold it over people was, while I'm going was, to America. That was my card. And once <laughs> I was here, I was like this, like, n- nobody who, you know, and I couldn't share my story. I didn't know how to share my story. My, my, I was ashamed of my story. I didn't really know how to explain it to people. I was ashamed to tell people that my, why would your parents leave you? And I didn't know how to put it into words. I wanted Mm. to hide it. I didn't want to tell anybody. I wanted to hide my whole Hungarian heritage and background. Mm. Um, I wanted to just, you know, in some ways, like my parents that put it behind us. My brother Mm. for years and years, like he was like, he would tell me, why are you rehashing the story even? Like, this Mm. is in the past. So, uh, but to your question of trusting people, I think by nature, I'm I'm a very trusting person. Um, I know as when I put on my journalist hat, I I have to ask those skeptical questions. But (laughs) I, I think by nature, I'm a trusting person. And maybe there's something in my my DNA maybe from my mm. mother or my grandmother that is like just um, adaptable. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think I adapted pretty well, but I but those first four or five years were very hard. All through high school was very hard. And, and, and there was also lots of transitions once we were here. We kept moving every two, three years. Mm, so, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out like, oh, well, now my family's moving. It's the middle of you know, my 10th year of high school and mm. we're not waiting till June for us mm. to move. Yes. Yes. Um, very much not about the kid, right? It's no, very much about the parents' no, life. No, we're, we're moving up in the world. We're buying a house. We're moving from West Staten <laughs> Island to Westchester County. You're coming along. You know? I just can't even, I, I mean, you really were raising yourself. In, in some ways, but you know, my parents provided for our finance, I mean, financially and all that, that they were, they were there. Mm, and, yes, yeah. yes, of course. Did, yeah. did you ever resume your relationship with your mom as it had yeah. been in Hungary? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I had to get to know these people all over again. They had become strangers over the years. I mean, just communication was almost non-existent when I was those five years we were separated. I spoke with my mom on the phone once. We had these very brief letters where she wasn't telling me anything except like, hope I see you next Christmas. Mm. Um, So we had no real communication. Um, So getting to, I remember my mother finally telling me, you don't have to ask for permission to eat. Mm. (laughs) You can just grab a sandwich. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I had to like really get to know who these people were, you know, as they were in this new place. And, And that was not easy. And it took us many years to feel that that familiarity and comfort where we could, I could even like, you know, gently talk back to them, you know, or like <laughs> resist, you know, that that te- those teenager years mm-hmm. when you get mad at your parents. And but eventually, so there was a, a year that was very important for my mom and I. You know, ironically, after we were here, about five years after I arrived, my dad 
took off and um, decided that he didn't want to be together with my mom and left her. And mm. my mom was, was, was devastated because she felt like she gave up everything for this man, mm. including her child. And here he was like, you know, she could have had a very nice life in Hungary. She was loved. She was the, yes. the, the, the local town pediatrician. She was adored by everyone. And she gave up everything to follow him here to, to a very difficult life, leaving her child and making that incredibly hard decision. And then he leaves her. So for her, that year was so hard. And that was my senior year of high school. And she and I needed to support each other. I needed to be there for her and help her with that and I remember her like sitting on the on the basement floor doing laundry one day and she was like crying sobbing and I had to be like her mother in some ways and I had to like mm -hmm. like understand like her pain and I think mm -hmm. that really helped us become closer and understand each other and mm -hmm. She finally, finally, in her old age, came to live with me when I had my kids, and my kids were mm. teenagers, and my son was like eight years old, and I convinced her finally she had Parkinson's disease, and she was slowly, mm. you know, in her last five years of life, and she couldn't be on her own anymore. She didn't want to go into a home. She actually worked in a, as a doctor in America in a, in a nursing home. And she mm -hmm. said, please don't put me in a nursing home. <laughs> so she lived with me. And during those few years, we had a chance to really heal our relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very hard. Like I was reading in your book yesterday, Ronit, I was crying at your epilogue because that mm -hmm. conversation with your mom was so powerful. And I had something similar with my mom where she starts crying. And she, she says to me, I was a coward. And, mm -hmm. and she's breaking down in tears. And I'm like, I, what do I do? She's like, and she was so vulnerable. And she finally admitted this to herself and to me that she was too afraid to, to for my father to live a life without my dad. Mm -hmm. And her, like, her Catholic beliefs were so tied up with that. And her belief that she had to be married and she couldn't be on her own were tied up with that. Her love for him was tied up in that. She deeply, lo really loved my father, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't, always very good to her mm -hmm. because he was yeah. such a broken man so that was really healing for us and for me the process of writing the book was healing too I mean yes we, we yes. tell these stories because we are broken inside and that process for me of revisiting the past and uh, kind of like figuring out this the 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 background for the story was very much healing for me to like come mm -hmm. to a place of forgiveness Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it does sound like regret played a part in her, in her, you know, in her emotional life. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Do you think she would have stayed in Hungary if she could have go back? You know, it's funny because we went back, she and I, about two, three years after I arrived here. And um, I was this teenager with like my bell bottom jeans, which were so prized <laughs> in communist Hungary, like, you know, um, and, and, and we visited and my grandmother was still alive and I was towering over her so tall. She was so little, like, um, and I saw my mother so confident. She was like, she, she, she had a command of the language. She, she knew she was so loved and she was, and she was nothing like that in America. She was this frail, scared, insecure person. 
in America, whereas there she was like this a totally different person. And I had a little glimpse from like what it might have been like if she hadn't gone. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that she would have been okay. She would have been more than okay. She would have been mm-hmm. great. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, which would trading free America and democracy and all that, you know, to, to her, maybe that was not as important. I know it was imp- incredibly important to my father. He chafed under authoritarianism. That's not something that he could have ever done. And, mm. But for her, I think it was different. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm grateful to my parents for the sacrifice of, of, that they made so we could live in this country. I know it sounds like this immigrant mm-hmm. story. But you know, mm-hmm. I, teach, I teach that to my, my students every day, that to appreciate what we have. Because this is, you know, for all its faults and all that and the, you know, experiments with authoritarianism, we are like essentially a, a, a decent, good country. And democracy is like an important value for me. And I'm grateful that my dad made that sacrifice. But mm-hmm. I had this glimpse of what my, the life my mother could have lived. And I think she would have been great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard when our our stories, these these crucial moments and memories are so intertwined with loss. Mm. It's it's a it just makes up, you know, kind of your blueprint of your life for a long time. Yeah. So do you do you feel, you know, in this final moment or two, uh do you feel that your life the way it is now is one that you would have wanted when you dreamt of it? when you were young like are you where you wish you could have been when you were younger I am practically crying at that question (laughs) because I am so grateful for the life that I have to be honest I feel and I know every single day that I'm living a blessed life Um, I could not have even imagined Ronit the kind of life that we that my husband and I built for ourselves and our family and we as a married couple had our struggles over the years and our challenges but I have these amazing kids today who are grown people two of my daughters are getting married this summer and <laughs> and my son is here in Seattle and one of my daughters is living here in Seattle and and I see them regularly and we have these backyard celebrations and family dinners together and and conversations and meaningful work that they have like you know that they do meaningful work in their lives and and accomplishing and and helping the world be a better world and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just like awestruck that it's not Mm -hmm. it's not what I imagined it's not the skyscraper it's not the 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 material things that my the the dream that my grandmother that I read you you know it was Mm -hmm. it's not that it's it's this like life filled with love and Mm -hmm. and that's something that I didn't even dare to imagine and Mm I I I really am like so I, I I'm just so grateful for that and I Sometimes I have to pinch myself because I don't even know how I arrived at this place. But I'm I feel very much blessed that I somehow we're here and we have a life that's just meaningful and filled with love. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. The book is out now. It's Girl Left Behind. And can you 
tell listeners where they can find you and the best way to connect with you? Sure. Thank you. So my website is judythemis.com. I'm on Instagram, Judy Temis. I'm on Facebook, Judy Temis. The book is available on pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, all those places. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you should go and get it because it's beautiful. So, you know, <laughs> in this short time, I feel like we covered a lot, but I know there's so much to your story and I'm really happy you were able to spend some time talking about it with me. Thank, Thank you. you for being Thank my guest. Thank you so much, Ronnie. I really, really appreciate it. And I loved reading your book. And as I was reading, I kept thinking to myself, we have so much in common. We have such, a, <laughs> such an interesting, both our past and, and that we have like, you know, found each other and had this chance to share our stories and read each other's books is like, I, it means a lot to me. Thank you so I know, much. It's, it's very, it's very healing for me too. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to talk to you today. Thank you for listening to, and then everything changed for more on this episode photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.